0: Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Open that Bible up with us. If you need faith, if you don't have faith in Jesus, you need to start. Uh, he is amazing. You need to have faith in Him. Open your Bible with us. Let's read together the Word of God. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, we're going to start in, the, your bulletin says chapter, verse 8, but we're going to change it up a bit. We're going to start in verse number 10 together. Big number 5, little number 10 in a moment, toward the middle of your Bible. Um, Boy, this has been a big week for the Hodges family, if you know us well. We had a baby boy, and the Chiefs won the Super Bowl! We did it! We did it! Can you believe it? We did it. Oh my goodness. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. This is going to change our lives, isn't it? This is going to... What are you laughing about? Nothing. Surely nothing will ever be the same again. Surely the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl will make life worth living. Amen? Surely the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl means we can really grab onto this championship and bring meaning to life, right? If you've been worshiping with us, you certainly know where this is going. Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. The Chiefs won the Super Bowl, and I had to still go to work the next week? Wait a minute. Wait a minute, the Chiefs won the Super Bowl and my kids still get sick? Wait Wait a minute, the Chiefs won the Super Bowl and I still get in an argument with my wife? Wait a minute, wait a minute, the Chiefs won the Super Bowl and then you turn on television and what are they talking about already? Well, they're not going to be able to win it next year. They're already on the next year, wait a minute, wait a minute, Chiefs won the Super Bowl and I still got a flat tire and my kids got an f on their report card, and I lost my job, and I still suffer. Winning the Super Bowl did not make life worth living. The Super Bowl doesn't satisfy. My problems and suffering in life are still there. And the book of Ecclesiastes, King Solomon writes, You know what King Solomon would say? He said, That's right. Winning the Super Bowl is what, church? Smoke. It is smoke. King Solomon and Ecclesiastes would say when the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl is like everything else under the sun. It is fleeting. It is not making life worth living. Super Bowls are smoke, they're vanity, they're empty. And this goes right along with where we've been so far. Super Bowls are smoke. Like you, Smoke is billowing up. You think you see something there. You think you're chasing it. It might make life worth living. And as soon as you grab smoke, what happens? It's just gone. Super Bowl, King Solomon would say, is smoke. He has said, wisdom is good, but it's smoke. It doesn't make life worth living. Hard work is good, but it is smoke. It doesn't make life worth living. Pleasure is good, but pleasure is smoke. It will not satisfy. And so he's going on this this journey, King Solomon, this journey through all of human experience. He's saying, what can truly bring satisfaction in this life? Can wisdom? No. Can can hard work? No. Can pleasure? No. What under the sun can satisfy us? But I got one today. Surely, money can satisfy us. Surely, if I get enough money, I will find satisfaction for my life. Surely, money is not smoke. Maybe everything else is smoke. But surely, if I can grab a hold of enough money, I'll find satisfaction. I'll be good. And my life will be worth living. So today, Solomon the Bible says the richest man in the world is going to tell us if money can satisfy. And of course, we know the answer to this. No. Money, like everything else, wealth is smoke. Money does not make life worth living. So that's where we are. Ecclesiastes, let's read together. Big number 5. We're going to read little number 10 to little number 20. And then we're going to break this down and talk about what it means. Little number 10 goes like this. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. Vanity. Emptiness. Smoke. It is smoke. When goods increase, when you buy lots of stuff, when you have lots of wealth, when wealth increases, They increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his own eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his harm. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This is also a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there? To him who toils for the wind, who chases after the wind. Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and confusion and sickness and anger. Behold, I've seen what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and to drink and to find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. This is his destiny. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and the power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and to rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the joy, with joy in his life. Okay, we're going to stop right there. So, money, this is the premise, money will not make life worth living. Money is fleeting. It is empty. Money is smoke. Money is smoke. Why is this the case? Solomon tells us a few reasons why money is smoke, why we can't use it to build a foundation for our life. Why is money smoke? Money is smoke, he says, because there is never enough. It says he who loves money will never be satisfied. Money is smoke because number one, there's never enough. Amen. I only heard one or two of us say that. Man, they all must be doing pretty good with life, huh? Amen. There's never enough. John D. Rockefeller, you probably recognize the name. Built the Standard Oil Company. He was a billion. Get this. He was a billionaire. In the 1900s, when a dollar was a lot of money, he was a billionaire. He was a billionaire. He was the richest man in the world. Get this, his wealth at the time made up 1% of the U.S. economy. Was tied up in one guy's bank account. That's a rich man. That's a Solomon of America. And he was asked one day by a reporter, Mr. Rockefeller, richest man in the world. You have 1% of the American economy is in your pocket right now. How much money is enough? You know what he said? Just a little bit more. Whew, gives me goosebumps. Just a, little, just a little bit more. Richest man in the world. The richest man in the world said that in 1900. Thousands of year, years ago, the richest man... In Israel said the same thing. What hope do I have if a billion dollars doesn't satisfy? What hope, hope does a schmuck like me have in finding satisfaction in money? Just a little bit more. Second thing, money is smoke because the more money, the more power, the fuller belly, but the less amount of peace. Verse 12, he says it like this. Sweet is the sleep of the laborer. Low man on totem pole, you work real hard, you sweat, you you, blood, sweat, and tears into your work. Sweet is the sleep of the laborer, whether he eats a little bit or much. Whether he can fill his belly or not, the laborer puts in a hard day's work. Low man on the totem pole goes to sleep and can sleep a sweet sleep. But the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep the more money the more power the fuller belly but empty of peace the more stuff the less time to rest the more stuff the more worry the more stuff the more people depend on you the irony is what do we like to say man if i could just get a little bit more i can just get one or two more raises i'll get to the place where man i'm gonna sleep like a baby i won't worry about anything not true the irony is we think more money will bring rest to our heart but god says that more money will bring more worry more stress money is smoke number three because everything we buy with money is smoke solomon says when goods increase Those who eat them increase, and what advantage has their owner but to see them with his own eyes? With more stuff, there are more mouths to feed. So what eats the the goods that you buy with money? What eats your money? Time eats your money. Everything you buy deteriorates. Edmunds.com, a car purchasing company, says... You might buy a new car, you might want to not listen to this next part. Okay, Edmunds.com says when you buy a new car and drive one mile, the car loses on average $2,500 in value. One mile. Time eats our stuff. Time eats our bank account. Time eats our home. What else eats our stuff? People eat our stuff. Going from two kids to three kids eats our stuff. Already we're finding that out. This kid goes through diapers like it's going out of style. Family eats our stuff. When you get rich, what comes out of the woodwork? Family members you haven't heard from in years will come visit you, won't they? more stuff increases, the more mouths to feed. And what's coming up in April? Yeah, Uncle Sam wants to eat some of our stuff. That's right. Time eats our stuff. more it increases, the more it gets eaten. Uncle Sam eats our stuff. Family eats our stuff. Kids eats our stuff. The next version eats our stuff. Your new tech toy you have in your pocket that you got last week that you're so excited about is already out of style by the end of this sentence you with me they do it on purpose go buy it and they want to make sure you buy it and then the next day you hear about the next new thing that's coming that'll be even better that'll surely change your life the next version eats our stuff don't you know that feeling of buyer's remorse You go, you've been looking forward to this purchase and you're going to go make it. You've thought all about it. You budgeted it out. You talked to your spouse about it. You go, yes, I'm going to buy it. You know that feeling. and You go and you lay it down. You finally get it in your hands and you can enjoy it for, for how many seconds? Ten seconds? All of a sudden you go, wait, I don't feel so good anymore. I felt better an hour ago when I was driving to the store. Now I'm not feeling so great. It didn't give me the feeling that I thought it would. Of course we've all had that experience. So Solomon says, things come when the more you have, the more you eat. And Solomon would know he had everything. The more you have, the more stuff eats it. So Solomon says, So what advantage does buying things really give us? He says, More stuff, more stuff eats the stuff. He says, This is the advantage of the owner. You ready? You buy it, you look at it with your eyes as it goes floating down the river of time. That's all we get to do. That's all we get to do. Money is smoke. So let's just not buy anything. If buying stuff, where's my water? If buying stuff, got, everything's just going to be eaten and all we got is really to see it floating down the river. I don't like that feeling. I don't like buyer's remorse. So I'm going to be super smart. And I'm just going to, I'm going to save it all. I'm going to invest it. Surely that will make life worth living. Surely being wise in this way is going to bring some sort of satisfaction. Let's let our money pile up. Yes, saving money is good. Saving money is wise. But Solomon says money saved is never truly safe. He says, There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun, verse 13. Riches were kept by their owner to his harm, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. Folks, your bank account is not safe, it should not bring us security. Banks go bankrupt, stock markets crash, recessions and depressions happen. Nations rise and fall. Out of God's graciousness and mercy, we have not felt that as Americans. But many other places know the feeling of having a big bank account only to go to war and have it all wiped away. Wars rage. Companies fall. Money is stolen. Investments fail. Even the most wise steward of riches cannot guarantee hoarded wealth will be safe. So even in the bank, it's not safe. Even in the bank, we cannot find satisfaction in money. And how tragic is this? This is the saddest part of the whole passage. Solomon says, I've seen this take place. A father caring enough about his son that he invests money so that his son will have an inheritance. He says a bad venture comes and sweeps it all away. And when the father reaches out with his hand to give his son an inheritance, there's nothing in there. Tragic. That's tragic. And we can't say, well, he just went and squandered it. That guy was just unwise. If we just do the right things, then surely God will bless us and make sure we have a big bank account. No, he did all the right things. The man invested. The man cared for the next generation. He was generous and still an empty hand. It's tragic. It's a grievous evil. It's a grievous evil. Money is smoke. Next point, money is smoke because you can't take it with you. My son Judah didn't bring anything with him when he was born. That's pretty irresponsible and selfish if you ask me. I'll have to talk about that with him later. Just like Judah, you brought nothing into this world. And you will die and bring nothing with you into eternity. Are you with me? Wherever you're going. Wherever you're going in eternity. If you're in Jesus, if you have faith in Jesus, and you're going to heaven, you're going to bring nothing. If you are outside of Jesus, if you have rejected His call for faith, And if you've rejected the mercy and grace of God, if you go to hell, you will have nothing. What we have now, we will not take with us then. hundred years of work in chasing the dollar to enter into a trillion years plus without a cent to your name. So what do we really have to show for our hard work? What do we really have to show for it? Well, I'm going, to give, I'm, going to, I'm going to work hard, save my money, and maybe I'll, I'll dip and dodge all those recessions in my bank account when I can give that all to my children. What are your children going to do with it? They can't take it with them either. Working hard for 100 years so we enter a trillion years plus in eternity without a cent to our name. Can't, can't build a life on money. Next point. Wealth will not satisfy because wealth can easily hinder us from enjoying the little things in life. Verse 17-20, through read with me. Moreover, all the days He eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. Behold, this is the best I've got, He says. What I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil and work with which one toils under the sun the few days in life that God has given him. For this is His lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and and the power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. Wealth sucks away our enjoyment in the little things in life. The primary example of enjoying the little things in life, so Solomon has told us wisdom Can't find satisfaction in wisdom. Can't find satisfaction in pleasure. Can't find satisfaction in hard work. Can't find satisfaction in wealth. And Solomon says, well, the best that I got for you. You know, we're on the edge of our seat saying, Solomon, you're the wisest dude. You're the richest dude. Tell us, how do we find satisfaction? He goes, this is the best I got. Eat, drink, try to enjoy your work. It's the best I got for you. But wealth won't even allow us to do that. Eating in Ecclesiastes determines if you have come to grips with the smokiness of the world. It says eat and drink. Do your best. However, those who love money and wealth, those who chase wealth, who have lots of wealth, are prone to do the opposite. They don't eat. They don't drink. They don't find happiness where they can. The wealthy eats in darkness. Yeah, they might have the the best table at the restaurant, but they're all alone. Yeah, they can afford the private table, but it's a lonely table. He says they eat in vexation. They eat in confusion. You know this feeling when you, when you work? You have, a, you have a work lunch. You know that feeling? Work lunch. Can you ever really enjoy your lunch? No, I'm doing things. I'm typing on my computer. I'm working on a sermon. I'm, doing, I'm shoving french fries in my mouth. Can't even enjoy it enjoy it. Vexation. He says the wealthy are vexated all the time. Confused all the time. Stressed all the time. How do I grab all these things? He says they eat in sickness. He says they eat in sickness. The laborer eats in full belly, half a full belly, one bite, and goes to sleep. The rich eat in sickness. Probably meaning heartburn or indigestion. They eat lots of food. They eat good food. And I get indigestion. Upset stomach. He eats much and he eats good food, but his lifestyle and his worry mean the food never settles and never feels good. He eats in anger. He has enemies. He has competitors. He has moochers. He has failures. He has losses. He has worry. And we get a sense that Solomon is writing from experience. writing from experience. Solomon's had lonely, dark, indigestion-filled dinners. Last point he makes. Money is smoke. Money is smoke because we are not in charge. Chasing after money is smoke ultimately because we're not in charge of money. We're not sovereign over money. We're not in charge of our bank accounts. You're not in charge of the stock market. You're not in charge of a recession. There's one being who is. Money is smoke because God is sovereign over every cent and dollar. Don't chase it like we think we own it. Solomon says, God owns it. And in the mysteries of his will, he gives. Two things in regard to wealth in chapter 5. Chapter 5 says God gives wealth. God does all things for His glory in accordance with His perfect righteousness and for the good of His people. So, no matter where we come from, no matter how smart you are, no matter how hard-working you are, no matter how entrepreneurial you are, God always has the final say in who gets wealth. Always. Always. Well, Pastor, why am, I not, why am I not wealthy then, Pastor? I don't know. But I do know this. I know God is in control. He has you where you are. And He does so because it's for His glory. And it is ultimately, if you are a believer, for your eternal good. Wherever you are. So God gives wealth. Not only that, Solomon says, God gives the power to enjoy wealth that we possess. He says, even enjoying that wealth, we can't guarantee that we can do it. You win the lottery, who knows if you're going to be happy or not? That's up to God. God even gives the power to enjoy it. And it sounds like Solomon, the wealthy Solomon, is jealous of people who have wealth, enjoy wealth, and have peace about their bank account sounds like Solomon who has received wealth from God has not received the power to enjoy it. So my friends, money will not make you happy no matter how much you have. Money is smoke. You're going to try to grab it. It's going to go right through your arms. Money will not satisfy. And it gets worse than that. Money is smoke. Wealth is smoke. And wealth puts our souls in danger wealth puts our souls in danger it's a dangerous sermon to preach in the wealthiest nation the world has ever seen wealth puts our soul in danger this is the overwhelming message of the bible when it comes to money and wealth the message isn't money is bad that's not the message money is neutral We make it good or we make it bad by how we chase it, what we do with it. Having money isn't bad. Having money is dangerous. 1 Timothy 6.10 says this, for the love of money, you know this, is the what? The root of all kinds of evil. And church folk, what do we like to do with that? I like to hurl that at those CEOs at those presidents, at those congressmen, right? Money is the root of all evil. You know who this was written to? The church. I never knew that until I was writing this sermon. Yeah, that's true of everybody else too, but he's writing it to us. Love of money, church, is the root of all kinds of evil. It continues like this. Root of all love money is the root of all kinds of evil, he continues. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs, many sufferings. The love of money sends many away from Jesus. We see this in the Gospels. Love of money sends people away from Jesus. Why? Wealthy people we see in the Gospels going away from Jesus. Why? Because followers of Jesus are called to be generous with our money, to financially support our local church, to be looking for ways to use our money for the glory of God and to love our neighbors. Wealthy people usually aren't about all that. The love of money makes many Christians prone to wander, like the old hymn. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God." I love. The love of money, Paul says in 1 Timothy we just read, brings many sufferings to Christians. He says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil in the lives of Christians. You've never seen these in church, have you? You've never seen greed in church, have you? You've never seen callous hearts in church, have you? You've never seen... A blind eye towards suffering in the church, have you? You've never seen pride in the church, have you? All these things can be connected to the love of money. Wealth is dangerous. And here's what makes it really, really dangerous. Wealth threatens to keep you out of the kingdom of God. It's dangerous. It threatens to keep you out of the kingdom of God. So Jesus said, He says this, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will the rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. when the disciples heard this, they were astonished. Rich people have difficulty getting into heaven. Rich people get everything they want. Disciples were astonished and said, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. It's easier for... A camel go through an eye of a needle, than a rich man to enter into heaven. Now, if, you're, if you've been a Christian for a while and you study these things, you probably heard the idea that, well, this means a gate in the city wall and the camel has to get down and lose everything, get on his knees and go through. Have you heard that, Have you heard that, my friends, there's not a lot of good evidence that that is what Jesus is talking about. And it seems to be the case that this idea has come from Western rich christians who are trying to wrestle with these things i don't think that's right i think jesus was saying it is impossible for a rich person to get that that rich people face terrifying barriers on entering into heaven i mean we see what the disciples said the disciples said oh yeah that gate over there i get it yeah i get it no they said i have a needle that's impossible It's impossible for anyone to be saved. Amen? You can't save yourself. You can't be poor enough to save yourself. You can't sell everything, give it to the poor and save yourself. You can't do that. It takes the Holy Spirit of God opening your heart to the gospel. It's impossible for a man to do. What did we say at, at, at the beginning? We talked, when, I, when I prayed, we said, we are dead in our sins and our transgressions. What can dead men do? Nothing. It's possible for anybody to be saved. But through God, anything's possible. And rich people face terrifying barriers into the enter, to enter into heaven. So, wealth, so this is what we seem to see out out of Scripture so far. Wealth is smoky. You're not going to be satisfied with money. Chase it is like chasing the wind. Not only will you not be satisfied by it, but it will be dangerous for your soul. Okay? The wealthy among us, it's not evil to have money. It's dangerous to have money. And the wealthy among us in comparison to the world is who? All of us. American church. It is dangerous to be the wealthiest church the world has ever seen. Those are the two options we've seen so far. Smoky wealth. Dangerous wealth. But the Bible introduces... A third option when it comes to wealth. There is wealth, there is wealth that brings joy and satisfaction. And Jesus says it this way, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Sounds like Solomon. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there your heart will be also. Where your money is, there your heart will be also. So store it up in heaven. Jesus' message, don't hoard money on earth where it deteriorates, where it's smoky. Don't live for money. The other option, Jesus says, hoard treasure in heaven where wealth is not smoke. Wealth in heaven has weight to it. Wealth in heaven will satisfy our needs. Wealth in heaven pr- provided by Jesus will be something worth having. There'll be something worth having. It won't deteriorate, it won't go out of style, it won't be eaten, it won't become obsolete. So the message of the Bible seems to be this: it's not that wealth is always evil. The message of the Bible is this, don't settle for worldly wealth when Jesus offers heavenly wealth. That's the message of the Bible. Don't settle for worldly wealth. God has more for you. He wants to, have, he wants to give you more than earthly wealth. The message of the Bible seems to be this, don't settle for a muddy, ripped up, filthy dollar bill in the gutter When Jesus offers you all the gold in Fort Knox, Jesus offers you something better. And if we're going to exchange a love for smoky, fleeting, dangerous earthly wealth, for the love of heavenly wealth that's brought by Jesus and that I will get later and not now, if this is the case, I want to know what heavenly wealth is like. First thing, heavenly wealth... Jesus is the only source of immeasurable heavenly wealth. Ephesians 2 says it this way, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Christians, you have immeasurable wealth coming to you in Jesus Christ. Immeasurable wealth. I don't know about you, the wealth I have here, pretty measurable. Are you there? Won't take me long to count the wealth that I have here. Jesus offers you immeasurable riches. Immeasurable. Immeasurable. Worldly wealth is very measurable. There's not enough. The wealth that God brings and gives to us through faith in Jesus cannot be counted. Christian, the wealth that Jesus has for you is from the God who created the universe who has infinite resources, who built the stars with a word from his mouth, who controls every molecule. And that God has promised to lavish on his people in Jesus with immeasurable riches forever. Don't settle for this other stuff. Don't settle for it. How valuable is this immeasurable wealth Revelation 21 paints a picture of our heavenly inheritance in Jesus. And he says this. He says the streets will be paved with what? With gold. With gold in Christ, the riches that you have, you are inheriting a city where the streets are paved with gold. What does this mean? What does that mean? It means what we think is precious wealth on earth is as common and nondescript as concrete in heaven. It means what we pursue so often to try to find satisfaction, the money, the wealth, the gold that we pursue in heaven, your filthy feet are going to be walking all over it. It's going to be nothing. The wealth that we have stored up for us in Christ Jesus makes streets of gold seem common. Heavenly wealth is so valuable that if you have to lose all your worldly wealth to gain it, that is a joyful exchange. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and then covered up and with his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field Heavenly wealth in Jesus is so precious. If you have to give everything up in your life to get it, that is a bargain. Give your whole life up to get it. It's worth it. Excuse me. And finally, you remember that Solomon says that that terrible, grievous evil of the father not having anything in His hand to give to His Son for as an inheritance. Remember that picture? God calls the wealth that we have in Jesus an inheritance. In Ephesians 2, Paul says, we have an inheritance from a heavenly Father. This wealth is not from a banker. This wealth is not from a CEO. This wealth that we are attaining is not from some employer who gives it to you begrudgingly. This wealth is an inheritance from the Heavenly Father and His hand is filled to the brim with wealth for His children. And finally, Christians, in in the light of this, in the light of the incredible, immeasurable wealth that we have in Jesus in light of the generous, gracious, and merciful Father who holds His stretched out hand with everything we can imagine with wealth beyond understanding. In light of these things, let's close with this question. How then shall we live? In light of the generosity God has shown us through Jesus... Just as the moon reflects the light of the sun, reflect the generosity God has shown us onto others. That is our task. As we know the generosity God has shown, just like the moon doesn't have any light of its own, we take the generosity God has shown us and we shine it out to others. We do not hoard it here. We are hoarding it it there. We do not pursue it here. We pursue it there. Reflect it towards others. Church, be generous towards the individual members of your church family. Be generous with him and her and him and her and their kids. Be generous to them. Be generous to them. First John three says it this way, if anyone has material possessions and see a brother, or a sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but actions in truth. He's saying, if you see her on the side of the road with nothing, you better be generous to that person. Or Paul says, I don't even know if the love of God is in you. We are charged. What a blessing church is. This church, Christians, church family, this church is charged with your care. What a blessing that is. If you are hungry, we are charged by God to feed you. If you are naked, we are charged by God to clothe you. We got to know you. So let us know You so we can love You this way. Second thing, be generous towards the ministry of your church family. Be generous toward other people with our money. Be generous toward the ministry of your church with your money. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for the ox that God is concerned? No. It is for our sake. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? How do we live as Christians? As God's generosity comes to us, we reflect it off and we reflect it back toward our church. This is what Paul says. Paul says, if this church has helped you spiritually, if they have sown spiritual seeds among you, your Sunday school teachers work hard. Your church secretary works hard hard your associate pastor works hard your deacons work hard for you they work hard for you paul says is it too much to ask if if we sow spiritual seeds that we reap material what is he saying be generous by reflecting god's generosity towards your church family finally last thing when we talk about being generous in these ways, we are called to be sacrificially generous. Let's look at a church as we close. Let's look at a church that we should take an example from. 2 Corinthians 8.1 introduces this church like this. Paul says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Let's be like the churches of Macedonia in our generosity. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. That is a church worth emulating. Poor church. Suffering church, but in their joy, in their inheritance that they're accepting in heaven from a God with a full hand, with a heavenly Father with a full hand, in their poverty here, they exploded in generosity for the work of the kingdom of God, sacrificial generosity. So I encourage all of us who have a heavenly inheritance in Jesus, take Jesus' test. He says this follow the money, follow the money. He says it like this, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Ecclesiastes says it this way, it is smoke. It won't make life worth living. Now above that, it is dangerous. Jesus says you have an inheritance from God that makes wealth here look like a dirty dollar bill in the gutter. He says therefore live generously. If you want to take a test and ask yourself, am I living a generous life? Jesus says follow the money. Where are you storing up your treasure? Where are you storing up your treasure? Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful. We are grateful that you have given us an inheritance that we have not deserved. Father, we are grateful that you have given us more than we could ever ask or imagine in Jesus Christ. Father, don't let us get bogged down in the smoke of this world. Don't let us get bogged down in a search for wealth. Uh, that, that won't bring satisfaction anyway. Father, may we always have our eyes on our e- heavenly inheritance given through faith in Jesus. Father, make us a generous people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. I'm gonna, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand up. We're going to enter a time of decision. We have heard the word of God. Now's the time to make decisions in our life in response to what we have heard. Christians, this is a tough one for For American wealthy Christians, this is a hard one. This is a tough one. We need to be asking ourselves, are we letting our wealth put us in danger? We need to be asking ourselves, are we seeing the generosity that God has given us? And does that sight make us generous towards others, towards our church and towards our neighbors? Are we a generous people? And maybe you're here today and you're chasing wealth. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you call yourself a Christian, but you know in your heart that you're just playing games with God. Let me encourage you, do not miss the heavenly inheritance bought for us by the cross of Jesus Christ. This is how it works. We are all sinners, the Bible says. We are all sinners The Bible says we deserve an inheritance of hell to be separated from God forever. That's what the Bible says, clear as day. But in God's great mercy and out of the overflow of His grace, He has reached a hand out to us, a hand filled with peace and a hand filled with a heavenly inheritance that was purchased for us by the cross of Jesus. Jesus died on the cross taking the punishment for our sins wiping our sins away so that we may receive an inheritance from God if we have faith and trust in what Jesus has done. If you're not a believer here, this whole church begs you, turn from the smoky things of this world and follow Jesus.